Stuff. All right, let's open up to the book of Romans, chapter 16, please. Romans chapter 16. I'm going to put the outline back on the screen for you. Just now I'm going to get back into the middle here a little bit. And we have covered the first two parts already. And we're going to start reading just for the continuity's sake in verse 17. And then we're going to, you can see, uh, oh, forgive me, I said we covered the first two parts. We've covered the first part and nearly finished part two. But we're going to pick it up there, just catch a few things that I want to touch on about uh, the big fat liars. For, forgive me, I know that's a bit brutal, but it, it fits the, the acronym I'm looking for, the, you know, the initials, the alliteration. Um, yeah, so let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into these verses tonight. Father, thank you for this opportunity to meet, even in the virtual sense. God, thank you for this, this channel that we can use to reach people with the Word of God. Pray that you guide us into all truth, Lord. I pray that you'd fill each one of us with the Holy Spirit tonight so that we can hear from you, so that we can process this information in a way that will glorify you. Thank you for this privilege, and what a privilege it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, verse number 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Bear in mind, the people to whom Paul is referring are, are probably preaching Jesus. Right? But in 2 Corinthians 11, in verses 3 and 4, you read there where some people were preaching another Jesus with another gospel, and people were receiving another spirit on account of it. And I believe that's the crowd to whom Paul's referring here. Watch out for them. They were lurking about as wolves in sheep's clothing. So, so mark them. When you find out who they are, mark them. Verse 19, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. What's he saying? In light of what he's just told us in verse 17 and 18, he says, I know that you guys have the truth, and it's clear. Every, your testimony has reached far and wide that you are on the right doctrinal page. You have the, the biblical Jesus. You guys are right on that. He says, I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet. So even though I know you're on the right page, and I don't think there are, anybody, that, that there are any people in the Roman church there that are preaching this other Jesus or these, you know, trying to deceive the hearts of the simple. He says, I'm still warning you about this because eventually these wolves are going to pop up. They will either rise up from within the congregation or try to sneak in from outside of it. Now you read this in Acts chapter 20. Uh, matter of fact, if you turn there with me, look at Acts 20, just quickly. Acts 20, and look with me in verse number 28. Acts 20 and 28. Paul is saying his farewell, uh, his farewells to the Ephesian elders. And he says in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Uh, might I just say here, the best way to deal with false doctrine is to properly feed the flock. Properly feed the flock. It's not going to keep false doctrine from whirling about. The winds of bad doctrine are still going to blow. But you, you as especially leaders in the church, 
If God's going to put you in the full-time ministry as a pastor or otherwise, you want to make sure you get your people as, as firmly grounded in the Word of God as possible. He says in verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So this is something that Paul, he knew by experience, right? Now we know this would happen just because there are verses where Jesus talks about it going on. But Paul knew this both by, in the theoretical sense and in the practical sense. Now back in Romans 16, at the end of verse 19, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Now, this warning, as I mentioned last week, is very close to what Jesus told his apostles when he sent them out. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. So take time, make a plan to get the gospel out. Make a plan to do good, right? Titus chapter 3 says, be careful to maintain good works. Make a plan for that. Simple concerning evil. Don't put any time into how to overthrow someone or how to disrupt a church or how to draw away disciples after yourself. Don't, don't even give that a, a, a thought, right? Simple concerning that. Now, take your Bible. Come back to Matthew 10. Let me show you some... I want to show you the link, right? Paul has, has given us this cross-reference with what he said. So let's take a look at Matthew 10 and verse number 16. So Matthew 10, we've recently, not well, not recently, but not too long ago, did we cover Matthew 10. So it should be in your memory that this is the passage where Jesus calls the 12 apostles and is sending them out. And he's telling them how to perform the ministry, what to preach, where to go. And now he's going to give them a warning. Watch what he says. Verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Verse 17, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. So you don't need to panic or worry about this. I'm going to be with you the whole way. The Spirit of God will guide you, give you just the right answers to whatever that accusation or question is. Verse 20, For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now watch the next two verses. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Now, if you followed along with the live stream this morning, or maybe you were at church, we, we actually looked at a verse in Luke 12. We looked at a, a few verses where Jesus said, Do you think that I came to bring peace? I tell you nay, but rather division. There'll be five in one house, divided. Three against two, two against three. It ties directly into this. The brother's going to deliver up the brother. Based on what? Why is the father... Delivering up the child. Let that sink in for a moment. What could be so serious 
to make a father give up his child and vice versa, the children rising up against their parents to be put to death. What could be so serious? Verse 22, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. And then it says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And we've discussed the doctrinal aspect and the timing aspect of this, but let's not forget that these things in, in a very practical sense are still true, principally speaking. The, the message of Jesus Christ still divides mankind to this day. And it's because Jesus took such a definitive stand and said, I am the only way to the Father. No man comes unto the Father but by me. As soon as you stand up and make that claim, then divisions are inevitable. It's not that we want them, but you cannot avoid them. Some people are going to believe the message. Some people will not. Ever since the Garden of Eden, right? this has been the issue since the Garden of Eden, God says, here's what's right. Believe what I'm saying. Adam, Eve, let me decide good and evil for you. And then the serpent shows up and says, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. A conversation ensues, and he says, You eat that fruit, you're not going to die. God knows that you eat that, you're going to be as gods, knowing good and evil. What the devil did was convince Eve and, and secondarily Adam Take the responsibility into your own hands to decide good and evil. Don't let God tell you this is right and this is wrong. And ever since then, men, men, mankind have struggled to come back in line with the final authority, which is the Word of God. And when you and I stand up as servants of the Lord, gently, patiently, in meekness, instructing people, with the Word of God, despite our best intentions, some people are going to take that as an aggressive act of hatred that we are trying to divide. That's not the case at all. That's not the case. Men will hate it. What will they hate? He said, you'll be hated of all men. Why? Because they're out there preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, that He's the only way. Can I ask you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 30? Isaiah chapter 30. I am taking a little bit of liberty here because we have a little bit of extra time. Lord willing, we'll finish Romans. We might even get to Matthew just a little bit tonight. But it's worth pointing out. I wish somebody would have pointed this out to me years ago. How to deal with heresy, with false teaching in your ministry. Right? And when I say in your ministry, not necessarily, well, it could be in your church, but in the town where you minister, in the society in which you operate, how do you deal with various teachings? How do you deal with disagreements between various denominations? What do you do about this? Now, when I was much younger and just getting started in the ministry, it was very cut and dry with me. If you didn't line up with every single thing, man, no tolerance, no patience. Just mark them, avoid them. And truth be told, this is a very layered discussion. So that's why I want to try to break it down for you a little bit tonight. Let me point this out. In Isaiah 30, I'm going to um, 
put this up here. I can take this part down. This is your attendance code tonight, Isaiah 30 and verse 10, but we're going to start reading in verse 8. Isaiah 30, verse 8. Now go, this is God speaking to the prophet, now go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. On a side note, what God told the prophet to write down, he said, I'm going to preserve it. Preservation of the scripture. But in any event, verse 9, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say, they don't want to hear the Bible. Verse 10, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Don't tell us what's right. Tell us what we want to hear, even if it's wrong. Verse 11, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. When preachers stop standing for the truth and proclaiming, thus saith the Lord, and start telling the people what they want to hear, smooth things good words, fair speeches, you cause to cease the Holy One of Israel before those people. Right? They can no longer, I want to say, apprehend or attain, obtain a, a true relationship with the God of the Bible. I believe this passage, right? it was true in Isaiah's day. It's been true to a various extent in every age, in every generation. But I believe especially now, living in a postmodern society. And I like how Ravi Zacharias explained it. He said, not only are we in a postmodern relativistic society where there is no absolute truth, everything is relative, you have your truth, I have mine. The way he described it, he said, we are in a post-truth era where truth really doesn't have any meaning anymore because everybody's allowed to make up their own version of it. And as soon as you say, no, there is an absolute standard by which we can know truth, you then get labeled as a seditious, vicious, divisive person. The Apostle Paul said it like this, Galatians 4, verse 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Excellent thought on that. Do, do you know where, if you want to see this in, on a practical level, when, when somebody lays down the law and says, listen, listen, man, this is how it is. This is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to do things. And then somebody says, oh, you, you hate me. You, you know where you, you, where, where you get this? With parents and their teenagers. Think about it. Even, I know myself, when I was a teenager, my dad said, son, here are the rules. In my house, we do it this way. You know what my response was? Oh man, you, you're telling me that there are things in my life that aren't right. You're telling me that I have to view the world this way and that way. You hate me. That was my response. My dad was not the enemy. I perceived him as the enemy. Fact of the matter was, I needed to grow up a little bit. I needed to mature a little bit. Uh, let me ask you to take your Bible. Get two places. Get 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
and in your other hand, get 2 Peter chapter 2. All right, we're going to talk just for a moment about heresies. 1 Corinthians 11. And this is, I really wish somebody would have taken time to explain this part of it to me. It, these things about, uh, you know, the people wanting the smooth things, tell us what we want to hear. I, I read that in the scripture. That was, that was simple enough to see. But this part, I've had to learn by experience more than anything. 1 Corinthians 11, and then 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. When it comes to heresy, right? Heresies come in different shapes and sizes. Not all heresies are created equal. Now the word heresy, strangely enough, the English word heresy is actually more of a transliteration of a Greek word, which sounds very much the same, heresy, but when in other places, even in the King James, that word heresy, or the word that is transliterated heresy, can also be translated as sect, S-E-C-T. Another word for that is cult. You know what causes divisions or sectarianism or cults? Heresies. We say, what's a heresy? Any deviation from truth. Now, I say from truth, it depends on who's using the word heresy. You look in the dictionary, it's going to say something about a deviation from a dogma. So sometimes a certain denomination, you know, a church will say, this is the truth. And then anything that deviates from that, they will say is heresy. But you, you, you can see quickly how heresy becomes a ping pong match. One man's heresy is another man's fundamental. So obviously, as, as Bible-believing Christians, what we want to do is use the Scripture as the final authority, right? 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Here's Paul writing to Timothy, who's the pastor of a church, and he says, listen, pastor, you're not the final authority. Your church is not the final authority. It's not a denomination. It is Scripture. In Scripture, you have everything you need to get your doctrine right and to get your practice right, right? Instruction in righteousness. So we say that the Bible is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice, what we believe and what we do. So if something deviates from the plain teachings of Scripture, it is considered heresy. But not all heresies are of the same importance, of the same magnitude. 2 Peter 2, verse 1, it says here, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in, look at the next two words, damnable heresies. Some heresies are damnable. They are so bad that they would cause a person to misunderstand the gospel Right? So if they were to preach the message that they think is true, they're so confused, so wrong about their doctrine that they're going to preach another gospel, another Jesus. And people, instead of getting saved, would get this false sense of security. They would join a religion. They would join a denomination thinking they've, they've found something. When in fact, they have now subscribed to a damnable doctrine. Now, when we talk about damnable heresies, these are the types of heresies that Paul says 
Mark them and avoid them. Withdraw yourselves from these people. We have no room to tolerate this. We have to point it out. It is of the utmost importance that people know these teachings and these teachers can do great damage, even costing people their souls. Some examples of damnable heresies. You have to then look at the fundamentals, the, the basic core principles of the Christian faith, the virgin birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as an atoning sacrifice, an all-sufficient atoning sacrifice, the physical resurrection of Jesus, the inspiration of the Bible. These are fundamental core principles that if you do not believe those things, they can completely overthrow your faith. Damnable heresies. So if somebody goes down that path, we have to take a stand against this. The book of Jude, right? Uh, well, chapter 1, verse 3, it says we have to contend for the faith. Against who? That the next verse says there are people that creep in, false teachers that creep in, and they change the grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness. You see, they take the message, the gospel of the grace of God, and completely uh, pervert it. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, that some people were taking Paul's words, which he considered scripture, and rested it. They twisted it to their own destruction. Damnable heresies, we mark it, we avoid it. But there's a, another level. Come to 1 Corinthians 11 and verse, let's get 18. Verse 18. Now, you know as well as I, the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. One of the problems that it had was divisiveness. In, in chapter 1, Paul said in verse 13, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? That church, within that one local assembly, you had some people saying, I follow Peter. Other people said, I follow Paul. Some followed Apollo. Some said, I don't follow any man. I just follow Christ. There were divisions. And these divisions were, it was nonsense. There, there was no reason for those divisions. It wasn't some damnable heresy that they were marking and avoiding. In 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 18, he says, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For, where did the divisions come from? Verse 19, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So when somebody brings a teaching into a congregation, and it's a, let's call it a foreign idea, it's, it's not something that they've taught in that church before, you need to inspect it. You need to talk about it, compare it with the scripture, see if it lines up or not. And once you approve it and say, definitely, this is wrong, this does not line up, then you make it manifest. Now, in the particular context we're dealing with, what was, what was the mistake? What was the heresy? They were struggling to properly perform the Lord's Supper. Now, you can read more. We're not going to take time to study that particular subject, but just look with me at verse 22. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So you've seen here on the... Screen, where is it? 
don't know how to point to it. There, there we go. On that side, there's damnable, but then there's, an, I would say, another level down. We're not dealing with the fundamental core principles of the faith, what actually makes you a Christian. We're dealing with secondary issues, right? They're not going to cost you your eternity. So they're still wrong. They're harmful. I, I even considered putting the word shameful there because in verse 22, he says, he talks about shaming them that have not. So some of the practices or teachings could be shameful or harmful to a certain extent. And here's where we got to be very careful because each individual, it depends on how much emphasis they put on a particular topic, right? Sometimes you can overemphasize a thing that is true and it can end up harming you. So this is very layered and you have to deal very patiently with each individual case. Now, secondary issues. I would put the Lord's Supper into that category. I would put baptism in that category, but in this sense, the mode of baptism. I believe the Bible is very clear that infant sprinkling has nothing to do with the New Testament. It cannot be scripturally supported. But what do I do if I have a brother or sister in Christ that believes that sprinkling their baby is necessary? What do I do? How do I handle that? Well, this is where we need to, as we just saw, you, you have to approve it. You take that idea in, examine it with the scripture, and then come to a conclusion. You could present those truths to the people that, that are holding to those things. You instruct them. Peradventure, God will grant them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. They can say, okay, I was wrong about that. But what if they don't come right on it? What do you do? Do you break fellowship? I don't see anywhere in this chapter where Paul says, if you don't come right on the Lord's Supper, kick him out of the church. Now, you still have to respect the authority in the church and the way that they are going to perform their service of worship, right? But as an individual in that church, if you hold a different belief on one of these secondary issues, it doesn't mean that the pastor is not allowed to preach about it. Or that if he brings it up, that he's attacking you. No, he's not. But this, may, this type of heresy, small as it is, we, we may not need to be dividing over that. Mode of baptism, Lord's Supper, speaking in tongues. Listen, I am, I am fully persuaded in the position I hold on that topic. Fully persuaded. That being said, every time somebody comes and says, Brother Mike, I've always understood it differently. I am all ears. Tell me how you view it, even though I have literally heard this hundreds of times. Tell me how you view it. Tell me how you come to that conclusion. Maybe I have missed something. I do think that it can, if you have that wrong, I do think that it potentially can affect your relationship with God. I do not think it can cost you your eternity. And I don't think that it would cause somebody to love God less. Right? I can still have great respect, and I do have great respect, great fellowship with people that disagree with me on that. We have people in our church that do not agree with my position on tongues. We have people in our church do not agree with my position on eternal security. Now, I'm fully persuaded of that, but I'm also willing to hear what the other person has to say. 
as I preached this morning, man is fallible. I could be wrong. So I still have things to learn. That's fine. But you see, if somebody doesn't believe in eternal security, that I don't, even though I'm persuaded of it, I'm not going to put it in the same category as a damnable heresy. So some of these things, we can still stand for what we believe the Bible says on those topics, but we, we don't have to divide necessarily over it. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be difficult when one group emphasizes tongues and prophecy and leans on that for their spiritual experience. And another group push, pushes more, emphasizes more on, on uh, I want to say, a biblical approach. But forgive me, maybe that's an offensive way to put it. But they wouldn't rely on those things as much and stick more to just an exegesis of the scripture. It's going to be difficult then. Those two styles of worship are going to, they're not going to work well together. This is where all the different denominations get going within Christianity because of these slight differences that you find. And obviously, the more we agree on, the greater the fellowship we're going to be able to have. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Right? The more we agree on, the more we can the longer down the path we can we can walk. And then the third thing on the list, doubtful. Let me come to this quickly. Doubtful. We've already covered this recently in the book of Romans chapter 14. If somebody's weak in the faith, receive them, but not to doubtful disputations. If somebody believes that you have to observe a certain day of the year as more important than another. I don't have a verse that says, him observing that day is sinful. Right? Now, he doesn't have a verse that says, I have to observe that day. So, you, do you see why Paul would say it's a doubtful disputation? Neither of us are going to be able to definitively prove the other one's wrong. So, we just need to accept each other. So, though, that's, I, I don't even, I'm hesitant to even put that in the list of heresies. I wanted, forgive me if that's confusing. I wanted to at least mention it in this conversation because a lot of people, right? A lot of people think if you don't agree with every preference that I have, if you don't agree with my standards on music or with what I eat or drink or my dress code, you're a heretic. And that's why I put it in the list because some people count those things as heresies. When it's something doubtful, Guys, no need to even argue about it. You can talk about it, but no doubtful disputations. All right, let's come back to Romans now, and we'll keep pressing through. Romans chapter 16. I appreciate you giving me a moment just to say those things. I, like I said, I really wish somebody would have helped me with that when I was a younger preacher because I would have been a lot more gracious, especially with that second area. I am not ashamed to climb the mountain, plant my flag, and say, this is where I stand. I'm not ashamed of that. But you would be surprised how profitable it is to sit down with people that don't agree with you on, on those topics and have calm, cool, and collected conversations, which I have had. As I mentioned earlier, people in our church. I sat down with one brother and we discussed the topic of tongues. He does not agree with me. And I told him, I, I, I don't see how you're arriving at the, at the point you're making, but 
brother, I love you all the same. And I, I hope you appreciate how I'm going to continue to teach it in the church. And, you know, him and I, that helped our relationship so much. We had a mutual respect for each other that really came out. It built our relationship. It's too bad that that doesn't happen more and more often within the body of Christ. All right, Romans 16, verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now again, here comes the what sounds like the end of the book. Paul is a preacher. He, he gave us one... It sounded like an ending at the, at, at the close of chapter 15. And now it sounds like the ending, but he's going to keep going a little bit more. Now, the first part of verse 20 is a reference to the second coming of Christ. Now, if you take it into account with the context, Mark, avoid false teachers, wise as serpent, harmless as doves. I know you guys got it right, but I'm just saying you're going to deal with it. So be, be ready to do this because you're going to have to mark some people. And one day soon, God is going to put down the deceiver of mankind. So this battle that we're fighting with our loins girt about with truth and the sword of the Spirit in our hand, we're going to win. And not, because, not obviously because of our strength, power, intelligence, wisdom, but God's truth and God himself is going to overcome. Now, this, this mention here, the God of peace shall bruise Satan. God of peace. This ties perfectly with what I preached this morning. I preached about the personalities of peace. That's what God desires for mankind, but especially for the body of Christ. Peace and unity. The people that are preaching the other Jesus, they're, of course, disrupting that unity. The God of peace is going to put down the true divider of men, which is Satan, the father of lies. He's going to bruise him under, he says, Paul says, under your feet shortly. When we come back with Christ riding on those white horses, right, we read that Jesus dismounts his horse, stomps on the enemy. So these, these are Satan's armies. These are Satan's followers. The people down there in the ground, those foot soldiers may not realize they're following Satan. Right? They've pledged allegiance to the beast who is Satan incarnate. Now, the Bible says in Isaiah 63 that Jesus, he treads the winepress alone. But here he says Satan will bruise him under our feet. Now, the, the difference there where it says Jesus will tread the winepress alone, but here we're included as stomping on the enemy... It has to do with geography. The, the one particular area where Jesus treads that winepress, he's alone. But then this battle that we come back to fight, it's not, yes, Megiddo is the focal point, and that's where Jesus is going to end the battle, but there are other places where our feet will touch the ground. Now, this mention of bruising Satan. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You might remember there in Genesis 3 where God said to the, to the serpent about the woman's seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. Remember that? Now, the way that is usually handled is to say that on the cross, 
On the cross, Jesus stomped on the head of the devil. And that on the cross, Satan bruised his heel in that Satan brought that physical pain. Well, no doubt, Jesus was bruised as part of his passion, right? Part of his sufferings. But we don't read anywhere that Jesus stomped on the head and, and bruised the head of, of the devil. Now, it makes good preaching. And I understand why, why somebody would say that. And here again, this is one of those little doctrinal differences. If somebody wants to preach it like that, help yourself. I just don't know of any verse that really strongly supports that Genesis 3.15, which was the first prophecy in the Bible. I don't read any verse that fully supports that at the cross, Jesus fulfilled Genesis 3.15. It appears to me that that prophecy will be completely fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. That when Jesus comes back, he stomps on the enemy. And I would say that it is that stomping. He stomps so hard that it actually bruises his heel. Now, if somebody wants to say that that is linked to his, uh, his sufferings at the cross, I, I'm not going to argue too much. But like I said, I think this verse, there's no doubt verse 20 is pointing to the second coming. No doubt about that. So I would tend to put Genesis 3.15 and its fulfillment into the future. Verse 21, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. Now, in the first part of the book, Paul was offering salutations. Say hello to this guy, this guy, this lady, and so forth. Now we're being introduced to people that are with Paul in Corinth. And he's saying, these folks are saying hello. So it's not just me saluting you, but these people as well. Now these names, right? Again, it's just a list of names. Timotheus, you're more familiar with. That's Timothy. And then you can find these names in a couple other places, but we don't have a lot of information. So I'm not going to take time to cover all of them. Uh, verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. So... Tertius gets to slip in one verse. Now, there's a proper word for this. I'm putting it up now or trying to. We call this an amanuensis, an amanuensis, which is a big fancy word for secretary or scribe. Uh, I think maybe the best description or official description is a literary assistant. Paul is dictating the words of this epistle to Tertius. So he is the one that's actually holding the pen and putting the words down on the paper. So Tertius, he slips in a quick word. And, and who knows? It could have been that Paul says, Tertius, go ahead, say hello, that type of thing. And he says, I, I'm the one who wrote this. I salute you in the Lord. And these, the amanuensises, I don't, I'm not sure if the plural would be amanuensi or something like that. But these, these were common in the, especially in the early days of the church, because not everybody, now Paul could obviously, he was well educated. Uh, his eyes were going bad, so he didn't do a lot of his own writing. But uh, this was very common in, in, in these early days for people to use officially trained uh, 
literary assistance. Verse 23, he says, Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. So Gaius, he is not only hosting Paul. Where is Paul staying as he's writing this epistle? He's staying there with Gaius. But Gaius is also hosting the whole church. So it looks like the church is in, or, or let's say assembling on the property of Gaius. But which church are we talking about? Well, most likely the church of Corinth, because that's where Paul is at when he's writing this epistle, or dictating this epistle. Uh, just let your eyes skip over to the next page, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. Emmanuensis. Tanya, thank you for the help, but I don't know how to say that. Emmanuensis. I think that's right. All right, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Now, I assume, right, that this is the same Gaius that we're reading about in Romans because of the connection in Corinth. You will read about other Gaiuses. Man, that, those plurals are killing me tonight. There are a couple other Gaiuses in the Bible. Uh, John writes to one. Third John is addressed to a man named Gaius. I, I don't know if it's the same one as this. I think there are a few different men with that name. But this one, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 1, I believe it's the same man. All right, so back to Romans 16, verse 23. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Cordus, a brother. Now, a chamberlain is an officer who manages the household of a monarch or of some noble person. So as you can see, it's kind of, you can see that in the verse, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city. So like the city manager. I, I don't know what the official term would be in, in our modern, what the modern equivalent would be of that, if that's the mayor, probably something a little lower than the mayor, but that's the guy taking care of all the official city business. Now, I don't know who led him to Christ, how he got saved, but here he is. Uh, this is a, a, a man of some repute. So it wasn't, some people have accused Christianity of being just the dreg, the dredges of society, just the lowlifes of, of society were the early Christians. That, that's not true. There were some very influential people in the early church that were saved. Now verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Here's another ending, <laughs> but we're not done yet. I'm telling you, man, Paul, typical preacher, he's got to say one more thing. Now, to him that is of power to establish you. Now, I've got to read all of this. I'll, I'll try to break it down in just a moment. Now, to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Then we reach the real ending of the epistle. Now, by modern standards, this is not good writing. Now, please, I say that with great caution because I, I'm not trying to say that the Bible needs improving. Let me just point this out. Modern writing, and I've learned this because I've attempted to write a, a couple of books. They, they suggest that you use shorter sentences more often. 
these long, continuous sentences with phrase after phrase after phrase. This was very popular writing in biblical times. This was as good as a God. By modern standards, people don't write like this so much anymore. But because it is such a run-on sentence, right? It, it, it can be a little, at least I find it, slightly difficult to follow what points Paul is making because he makes one great general point, the theme of the, of the point, but then there are some sub-points within these uh, three verses. So let's first establish, you get the first part of verse 25 and verse 27. Now to him that is of power, to establish you, all right? To him that can establish you. Who is that? Verse 27, to God only wise, be glory forever. So what is Paul saying? To God be the glory, all right? So that, just bear in mind, that's how Paul is bringing the letter to a close. But then he's gonna tell us specifically what we're glorifying God for. Now we can, and we will for all eternity glorify God for God only knows how many things he can be glorified for, any number of things. But in this particular context, God is able, God has power and authority to establish us according to, Paul says, my gospel, the gospel that I'm preaching. Now that goes directly in line with the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now those, those are, there's a slight difference Right? When we talk about the gospel, we're not talking only about the death, burial, and resurrection. But we're also talking about the truths that flow directly as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, Garrett, he, he touched on this the other night in Ephesians 6, where he talked about the mystery of the gospel. So the mystery of the gospel is that Christ died, buried, rose again, because of that, the body of Christ is now possible, right? And that's one of the mysteries, the body of Christ. The indwelling Christ, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that's possible because of the death, burial, and resurrection. The rapture, that's a mystery that was revealed. That's possible because of the death, burial, and resurrection. So it all flows from those, uh, the mysteries, they all flow from that one story of the death, burial, and resurrection. Now, knowing the gospel, believing that Christ paid for your sins, understanding your place in the body, understanding how that, how you're allowed to relate to others now, that we're all one in Christ, knowing that we are going to meet the Lord in the air, that there will be a resurrection and the judgment seat of Christ, knowing all of these truths, that establishes you. It helps you know where you're at. And then the preaching of Jesus Christ. It's like we start real small, the gospel, and then we're going to expand a little outwards. The preaching of Jesus Christ. What are we dealing with now? Obviously, everything that has to do with the gospel also touches on, on Christ. But now we're dealing with who Jesus is, his nature. What kind of Savior is he? Is he merciful? Is he kind? Is he gentle? Is he, is he just? Is he All of these things, everything we know about Christ. It starts with the gospel, and then we learn more and more about his nature. He was not just another man. He was not just a great teacher. He was divine. He was deity. All of, And then we get into the mystery of godliness. So he says 
that God is able to establish you according to the, my gospel, Paul's gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. But what preaching? Because lots of people are talking about Jesus. Not everybody was preaching the right Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4. Paul goes on to point out, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but is now made manifest. So what gospel, what Jesus? The gospel and the Jesus that has been manifested through Paul's preaching, through, through the finished work of Christ, and now the mysteries were revealed to Paul. Paul has now revealed them to all the world to the, for, for obedience to the faith. God uses those things, knowing the true gospel, knowing the true Christ, to establish us. But then there's one other thing that establishes us. The gospel, knowing Christ personally, in verse 26, but is now made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets. So how, how can we know about Christ? Well, we know about him because of what he did when he was on the earth, what he said, what he taught, him dying, rising again. We know about him because of what has been revealed through Paul, but we also know a tremendous amount about him because of the scriptures of the prophets. We can go back into the Old Testament, and the Old Testament will help us get even more firmly established in our walk with God. So we have the gospel. We have the personal Christ, and then we have the scriptures. And Paul says, glory to God for these three things. We know where we're at. We, we, that is, in our relation to God. We understand where, we, where we're at, where we stand, what he expects of us, how we can know him, how we can love him, how we can serve him. He's made all of this known to us. And not just to us, but according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. God kept this stuff secret, right? All, the, all these mysteries, until now. But now that he's made it known, he wants everybody to know about it. It's not just for Israel or one special group. It's for everybody. And then, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So it's the perfect place to not only end the book, but to end our session tonight. So we didn't get to anything in Matthew. That's perfectly fine. We do have an, an exam that you'll have to write for Romans. So you have the exam that uh, Garrett gave you. He gave you the notes for it. Now remember, once you get the notes for something, uh, that exam is going to be written the, the following week. So you have one week from the time that you get the notes. So uh, this coming Wednesday, by this coming Wednesday, you need to write the Ephesians exam. And then by next Sunday, you'll need to write your Romans exam. So I'm going to give you the notes just now. And let me get over here so you can see them a little bit. I hope, let me know if you can see that. I'd really be curious if you can. I, I hope I'm using all this technology properly. Let me just walk you through the questions quickly. Get a little more in focus. And um, as we're going, we, guys, we should have just enough time um, there's, there's enough of a lag. If you have a question about tonight's lesson, please feel free to slip it in while we're going here. All right, so number one, what must be renewed in order to prove the will of God? Romans 12, verse 2. Uh, you'll get the answer there. Number two, list three of the gifts mentioned in chapter 12. I, I, I think there's uh, six, seven, 
eight maybe even. Choose three of them. Number three, with what do we overcome evil? That's at the end of chapter 12. Number four, give the two reasons we should be subject to the powers that be, to the government. All right, let me, uh, there's a verse here, Romans 13, 5. That's where I want you to get the answer from. Number five, what will we constantly owe one another? You'll see that in Romans 13, verse 8. Number six, how should we treat those who are weak in the faith? This will be Romans 14, verse 1. We touched on it tonight as well. Number seven, if you are persuaded that a doubtful thing is acceptable, how should you go about partaking of that thing? Now, you understand what I mean about uh, when I say a doubtful thing. I'm trying to use the language of Romans 14. So a doubtful thing is where it's a bit gray and there can be more than one right answer. You, you can't argue about it because there isn't a verse that proves right, wrong. So that that's what I'm getting at. It, and I, I'll give you the verse that goes with this question. Romans 14, verse 22. That's where you'll find the proper answer. Number eight, list two things that we are to learn from the things that were written aforetime. Now, I gave you a list of things in Romans 15, verse 4. So if you were taking notes, you'll find it in your notes there, Romans 15, verse 4. Uh, number nine, why does Paul quote several verses from the Old Testament about Gentiles in chapter 15? So this will be from verse... 9, chapter 15, verse 9, all the way down to verse 12. Why does he quote all these verses about Gentiles? Number 10, last question. What two things are we commanded to do with a person who teaches damnable heresies? Now, you can see how I've tied that into the lesson tonight. I believe that what Paul's mentioning in Romans 16, verse 17 falls into the category of a damnable heresy. There's two things he tells you to do in that verse so those are the those two things need to be in the answer. And then the memory verse is Romans 12, verse number 1. All right. You can see it. Good. All right. I don't see any other questions, so those are all the questions I, I have for you. I appreciate you guys tuning in tonight. I hope this has helped. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll end our service tonight. Father, thank you tonight for allowing us the privilege to talk about these things. And Lord, help us, help us to... Help us to take these truths about the gospel, about the Lord Jesus, about the scriptures, and get to know you more and know more about how we can serve you. Lord, give us wisdom, wisdom, how to deal with the differences that exist and the disagreements and the heresies that move about, God. Help us to take the stand and contend for the faith, but also, Lord, help us to be very merciful and patient as we do it. Lord God, thank you for this privilege to open up the Bible and teach. And it is a great privilege. Thank you so much. God bless these students, please, that have tuned in tonight. The folks that, have, that are following along, maybe not part of the school, but just trying to learn. Please, Lord, let these things make a difference in their life. And we ask all this and thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. You guys have a wonderful evening.